Hey, and thanks for for coming back again another week. This is Barry Edgman with Father Seekers, and you are tuned in to the podcast Teach Me to Father. Teach Me to Father. Thanks for tuning back in. Uh, you can reach us at Father Seekers, fatherseekers.org. We just updated our website, and we have some new ideas, new concepts, a new look. Actually, it's really good looking. Uh, adding to it weekly. And I would, I would almost bet that all of the all of the great comments we've received so far are very representative of the the great the great look that we have now. Great website designer, amazing. Um, reach out to us because we've been getting some great feedback, great feedback about some of the topics we've had in the last four weeks. We've talked about how to, how to be a great dad to your daughter. What do little girls need most in a dad? Those podcasts seem to strike a chord, not only with dads with little girls, but what, but also dads with, with wives who perhaps grew up without a dad or a good dad, and it, it gives some insight into how to read your wife a little better. Read her in such a way that you can you can understand her more and be more kind and considerate. Just understanding somebody's story always helps a great deal to move forward in the relationship with them. And then the last two that dropped this week and then the week before was uh, Ezra Konegdo. Got a lot of hits on that. If you've not listened, please tune into that, any podcast format. What I would what I would point you to of that is this, that it is not just a podcast for fathers. It is for fathers and their wives or husbands and their wives. Um one of the one of the one of the big things today is this this cancellation of being a a masculine man, but being one in the form and fashion uh, laid out for us in Scripture. How to be a good man, how to be a solid man, a spiritual man, an emotional man, but to see our wives in such a way that it brings honor to them. And one of the big misnomers that I've heard for many years, and I, I've, the more I've explored it, the more foolish it sounds, that women cannot be understood they're 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 a a mystery and nobody will ever figure them out. I don't buy that at all. First off, you can't figure out a woman. You have to learn about her, her story, and then build relationship with your wife to understand her story. But God created women in such a wonderful way that they they complement their husbands and their husbands complement them. I didn't say complete, but complement. There's a big difference in completing. In complimenting. So I would challenge you to listen to those. Connect with us at fatherseekers.org. My email is barry at fatherseekers.org. Barry at fatherseekers.org. B-A-R-R-Y at fatherseekers.org. So today I want to carry on with, with this idea of, of men knowing their wives, but now men knowing themselves. 
And one of the one of the things that is in, incredibly important for me is to help communicate at least the initial message of Father Seekers, and that is this: that if a guy doesn't know himself and understand who he is, he can never become who God wants him to be. And knowing knowing what you are designed to be and how you were created to become that is one of the greatest secrets of the universe. Now, it is not impossible to find that. It is very possible. It is not improbable. It is for sure probable. In fact, it can be done. It's probably the greatest battle that any man will ever face, and that is is knowing themselves and understanding themselves and to 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 operate in that rather than leaning back on what's been told them in the past or even present, what they've experienced or some of the difficult times or or the great times, the victorious times they've had. Those those are things that we experience. Our experiences do not make us or identify us as who we are. We are identified and created in an image, a particular image, and our experiences are part of who we are. They don't necessarily define us. For example, if for some reason in your past you were incarcerated or you had a DUI or you were in some sort of trouble or you went bankrupt or you lost your job on a consecutive basis— those are experiences. Those are not identifying who you are. Now, if we take on, if we take on our experiences as our identity, then then we have a problem. And I think many men have done that. They have identified themselves in such a way that when when we get to that position, and when we get when we get in a place to to just view our circumstances as our identity, then we become something we're not, and we turn a corner living out and becoming the sum total of what we've experienced in the past. So, so to wrap, to frame the discussion today, I want to talk to you about kings in the Old Testament very very interesting history in the new Te- old testament if you've never read the old testament uh it's like it's a really good novel it's true it's a novel but there there is war murder love conquering defeat seeing god hearing god experiencing god prophets changing the world kings controlling regions and peoples and countries and and when you look at that, you realize that there's this divine order. And one of the things about understanding who we are as men is knowing that God is a God of order and not a God of chance. He's a God of original design, meaning that all he created initially and originally was good. It was flawless. But man, in his sin, corrupted what God did by man's choice to rebel against God and to choose his own way. Now, here's the interesting piece. The interesting piece is this, is that when we look at how God designed everything, we see and understand, in fact, the universe, what's seen and unseen, known and unknown. 
when we see that, we see that God in part of his order has given man a responsibility to manage and to maintain and to have dominion over and to be uh, in authority over certain pieces, certain assignments, certain lands. But when we break that down for our common day understanding for today, for us today, we have to understand that that order, that plan is still in place. It is, it is not, it is not outdated. It is not, it is not old school, but because of, of a, a holy, godly, masculine man, uh, that whole masculinity thing is under attack, and part of it I understand why. But but when a guy is trying to live according to the leading of God in his life and becoming who God designed him to be, and there is an attack on him, then there is an attack not only on him but all other godly men and all of their homes and families and anything that they say or do. So with this big picture of understanding how God designed creation, how He designed man to rule and to reign, then we have to take a look at how does that apply to me today? Now, some guys understand this, but they have twisted and contorted it and become control freaks. They become ogres and they have become the worst of worst representation of a man that any could be because they rule and reign with a, a rod of iron and a sword. And that's, that's not the way to do it. They rule and reign over their family with a rod of iron and a sword and punitive damage when, when disrupting the king in, in what he thinks is right. In fact, the great kings of the Old Testament were, were kings who made mistakes, who, who committed sin, who made bad judgment, but one king in particular is noted throughout Scripture, and that's King David. He was, he was a man after God's own heart, and he, he, God said of him uh, in, in, in the New Testament, I, I, God testifies of David that he was a man after his own heart and that he would do my will. That's what God said about David. Now, here's the interesting thing. David David was a great warrior king. He was a good king. He was a king that was riddled with some bad judgment. In fact, some of the re- one of the things that David's most known for is his indiscretion with Bathsheba and her husband and had her husband put to death because he wanted Bathsheba. <laughs> I, I did a little study on this the other day, and some some of biblical history, some of the literature commentary says that David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, he was 60 years old. So imagine the greatest king in, in Scripture uh, 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 winning battles, conquering nations and peoples, destroying countries in, in the name of God, by God's design and order, having a son who was the wisest of all. Scripture says Solomon was the wisest king, and he did build the temple. When you look at that, you have to say there's something to this idea of kingship. Now, again, I'm talking about a, 
a, a man who loves his wife, interpreting, pointing to today, looking at who we are today as men, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And when you examine how Christ loved the church, then you have to take a look at what did he do for the church? He gave birth to the church. He watched over the church. He supplies for the church. And Scripture says that when when he came to earth, the Lord Jesus, he gave birth to the church when he called his disciples and when he died and was resurrected, the church then was born. So there's this caretaking, caregiver doing whatever he could to give birth to this church. How does that apply to us? When we love our wives, speaking of being, being uh, taking the order of a king in our lives, when we love our wives and our kids and we put them first and we are our servant leaders to them in their lives and we, we pray for them, we stand in the gap for them, we hear from God for them, we provide and protect them. When we are living that kind of life, then we are we are functioning as an Old Testament king. This idea of men being kings is is a servant king, a servant leader, loving more than life itself, your family. I want to push it down a little bit more in a laser focus, push to a laser focus on this idea now of what is what is it what is it that kings ask for what what does a king who pursues the presence and the power of God in his life and understands his purpose what are the things that a king asks for from God what what is it that he asks that that makes him a better man a better king to to rule to reign to protect to lead to guide to pray to provide for his family and for those God has given to his charge. What do kings ask for? I recently spoke at a, at a men's retreat, and we talked about some of this, and, and that's where this podcast idea came from, because men are always asking questions about God or of God. And one of the questions, one of the questions that I hear men ask all the time are, the types of questions are superficial surface questions of why did God, why didn't he, what does he want me to do, why does he not hear me? There are some things that we have to take at face value and faith value, and face and faith value say this. If it's recorded in Scripture, we can count it trustworthy. If it's recorded in Scripture, we can count it trustworthy. That means that we have to understand and know Scripture for one thing. That's a big plus. But when we read and we understand that God has this specific divine order, and in this order he has appointed men not only to lead to their fullest capacity, but to lead their family well and and not allow past experiences to define their leadership ability today. Are, are there consequences that we all must all must resolve with the help of God? Yes, there will always be that from our past. But as we walk in in unity and relationship with God, 
and we are in right relationship with the Lord Jesus, then we have the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us to be great men, to be kings and stewards and overseers of all that God has blessed us with. And first and foremost, that's our own life, then the life of our our wife, and then the life of our children. Those are the priorities. If we as men are right with God and in right standing and are hearing his voice, we then will be great stewards, we will be good men, and we will lead our families well. That is simply, that is a simple over overarching uh, uh, definition of, of what it means to be a godly man. Now, there's more digging to do with that. But, but let's talk about this thing. It, what, what does a king ask of God? What does he ask? Now, let's fine-tune it even more. Let's drop it, let's drop it down into even a tighter frame. And that is when we are in this pursuit of living for God, in this pursuit of becoming who he wants us to be, we have to ask ourselves, all things being equal and and we are on right track and in good standing with God or we're moving in that direction, we're moving with him as he cleans our life up and as we respond to his word. We have to ask ourselves this question, what is it that I want from God? Because what I want from God will determine my questions that I ask him and the things that I ask for. Let me say that again. What I want from God, what I want from God determines the questions and the requests that I make of him, the questions that I ask and the requests that I make. So to be clear, there is this fine-tuning and understanding. Now, we understand our purpose. We're not perfect, but we're purposed in living for God, learning of his way to be good men. We're, We're pursuing that. We're becoming that. And now we are understanding Scripture, and we're becoming, we're in fellowship with other men who are godly and on the same pursuit and same purposes of God to be good men, to be good stewards of God, of what God has given them, to, to have, to have this, this understanding that what I want from God determines my request of him. So here's the question, what, what, what does a king ask for from God? Let me read this this quote to you to put it in a little bit of a framework of not walking alone as a man. We cannot walk alone. Uh, Dr. Dan Allender says this, Find the like-hearted kings living in the same direction. Sign treaties. When they are at war, you are at war. In other words, you cannot, I cannot, we cannot walk alone and be good kings. We can't be good men of God. We can't be masculine Jesus guys who love God loudly and boldly and we follow after him. We can't we can't we can't do it alone. If if there was one characteristic, if there were top three characteristics that I encounter with men that I lead, that I coach, and that I have connection with through father seekers, the number one the one number one characteristic that plagues them is insecurity and inferiority. They go together. The second is not is not knowing their purpose, and the third is they believe that they can walk alone and do it alone. So 
when we're talking about being a good king, when we're talking about walking with God, we we have to walk with other men who who are pacing in the same direction of obedience with God that we are pursuing or that we are on that same track. I cannot emphasize this enough to be a good steward and a good leader, to be a man of God, to to steward well your wife and your children's uh, legacies and their destinies. We must we must understand that we're responsible and what we ask for from God determines the kind of relationship that we have. Is it one of trust? Is it one of of I believe what he says regardless of my circumstance or experience? Do I have brothers that I can call on and that I can walk along with and trust my my vulnerability, my soul, my weaknesses? Do I walk with those brothers? Now, let me insert this thought about vulnerability. Most guys think that vulnerability is sharing your emotions and your weaknesses. It's far deeper than that. Being vulnerable to a select group of godly men who are all walking in the same direction toward God and his plan and with God by the power of his spirit. Vulnerability is these guys know all of my story and these guys know all of the effect of my story on me, my life in the present, my family, my wife, my kids. They know they know the weaknesses that I struggle with. They know the baggage that I've carried from the past. Now, if if I've been in one meeting or gathering or or barbecue, uh, I was in a group the other night, and the group was called is called Call to Greatness, and that that's probably one of the best ones I've ever been to. The a men's a men's thing, and the the byline for it is. Uh, barbecue and Bibles. Um, what man does not love barbecue, and what man does not want to hear a little bit of, of scripture? Now, not everybody that comes is is that, but the barbecue is was the, it was awesome. My point is this: that that we have to be exposed to men who are walking in the same direction and who are believing for God's intervention in their lives and has God's direction. For their lives, vulnerability is the gateway. If if we are not vulnerable, first of all, with ourselves, we will never be that way with God. However, God already knows us, and if we are choosing to be good stewards, we must walk along with men who understand who we are, where we've come from, and those daily struggles that we have. We will. We will listen to this. Jesus was the ultimate man, and he served. He served his people. The, the nation of Israel, his disciples, his time. He served his time in three different offices or functions. He, he was one man who served in these functions. Now, the idea or concept here I want to pitch to you is this, that, that men, men serve in these three roles. Now, we're dominant in one, very strong in one, but we still serve in the others. Though those offices that Jesus served in was prophet, priest, and king. We as prophets, priest, and king are prophets, priests, and kings 
to our families first. Here's what a prophet does. We are spiritual shepherds who speak the word of God over our households. Prophet. We speak to exhort, encourage, and charge our wives and our children to live a life worthy of God. As priests, we get to intercede for our family before God, giving ourselves to intercessory prayer and speaking of God on behalf of our loved ones. And then the third function is a king. God has firmly charged that that the nature of, of fathers and husbands, men to lead as head of their house, are to provide and defend for their wife and their children and themselves and are in charge governing, defending, providing, leading the way to fullness for their family. So when, when we talk about this, this responsibility of being a, a great father and a responsibility of being a good husband and being, being a good man, then, then there's this issue of if we're walking in the same direction with God, if we're walking in step with the Spirit, we're not fighting against Him, but we're yielding to His direction, then we have to ask ourselves a couple things. What is it, what is it that I'm to do? What are the things that I want? And what are the things that I need to seek after? Because when, when I begin to examine what do I want from God, I also have to examine what should I be doing? Because what I'm asking from him will determine what I understand about what I'm supposed to do. What is it that I should want or desire as a king, as a leader, as a steward of my home, of my life, of my wife, and, and all of the lives of the people in my home? What is it? That, that is my primary focus. Do I want riches, lands, boats, houses, cars, more money? Do I want anything? Am I just satisfied with where I am? Am I still tripped up by my past to the degree that I'm completely worn out with it? What is it? What is it that I need to do? What are the things that I need to focus on with God? And what are the, what are the, what are the significant pieces of, of creating that pathway? Because in the Old Testament, kings were assigned, godly kings were assigned by God to take certain, certain lands, certain regions, certain cities, to take them and to rule and to reign and to, to, to lead by godly design these places that he gave God gave for kings to conquer. So what are we going to ask of God? What do we really want? What are we seeking from him? One of the one of my favorite stories because I'm a wisdom guy. I like to read about wisdom, study wisdom, uh, especially biblical wisdom. Try, I, I love to I love to to uh understand about about how wisdom really works and and how does insight connect with wisdom? And how does understanding interpret? Uh, how does insight influence my wisdom? So one of my favorite stories, obviously, is the story of, of Solomon. And one of the things, it's Solomon's, Solomon's story, King Solomon, an incident, a, a, holy, a holy moment, a holy interruption from God is it's one of my favorite stories, First Kings chapter three. And the way that story starts out, 
is this. It starts out with, with Solomon loved the Lord. That's the way the whole, the whole story starts. He loved the Lord. When, 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 when the guys that we walk with, and they can say, that dude loves the Lord. They know it because of our words, our actions, how we believe, what we ask for, and how we deal with those who can offer us nothing, and how we deal with people who can offer us everything, but most certainly and specifically, how do we live our lives and how do we deal with our children and our wife? Solomon loved the Lord. As Solomon was 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 a in that time a holy religious man because he followed all the, the rules, the laws of sacrifice, and the scripture says that he made thousands of burnt offerings uh, to honor God. And because he believed God, he believed that that was his duty to do that. Solomon, again, was was the son of King David. But here's the part, part of the story that gets so, it's so super interesting to me. And I would love to have, I would love to have this experience and I would love for you to have it as defined here. But but Solomon was at Gibeon and the Lord appeared to him in, a, in at night in a dream. And, and look, look, imagine being asleep with your best sleep and you're you're completely rested you're resting you're in full rim and and god comes to you in a dream and he says to you ask what shall i give you if god were to ask you that what would be your answer i have thought about this question many times but to think about to think about in a dream the god of the universe who created everything known and unknown, seen and unseen. He is, he is, he is God. There is no other. And he, in your dream, speaks and asks, what shall I give you? I want to read to you Solomon's response. It is, and, and, and scripture doesn't say how, whether he just, Solomon just jumped in and answered or where whether he waited. But what's interesting is Solomon used some of the best wisdom that I've ever heard in my life. He said this, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart toward you. That's David, the guy that sinned, the guy that made mistakes, the guy that murdered. This is what the scripture says about David, a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he would do the will of God as he asked him to. There's a story there about a father teaching his son in and amidst all the mistakes and sins, pressing forward, becoming a better man, yet his son remembered that he was righteous and upright before God. But the story goes on to say, and and you have kept Solomon speaking to God, and you have kept for him his great and steadfast love, and have given him a son, to sit on his throne this day. Now, here's the request Solomon made. O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted from multitude. Give your servant this an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people 
of yours. Our 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 great people is our family. That's who our great people are. Our prayer to ask of God, what is it that I need to ask God? What is it that would define what I live for, what I seek after, what I do, how I do it, is that God would would give us an understanding mind to govern ourselves and our family so that we can discern between good and evil and so that we can govern these these wonderful gifts, treasures from God that he's given us. So the scripture says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for an understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you wise and discerning mind so that there is none like you before or shall there ever be that will arise after you. I give also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king will ever compare to you all of your days. Let let that settle in. This king who could have asked for anything, ask for an understanding mind to lead the people with the full knowledge of good and evil. Wow. The good, the ability to discern between, to know the difference between good and evil, to lead well. And then God finally wraps it up and he says, if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David did, then I will lengthen your days. I will tell you that the many times that I've read this story, it is always new to me. It is always fresh. It is always an encouraging template to look at, to ask God for these things. Now, should we not ask God for the things we need? That's not what I'm saying. But that which we need most is an understanding mind, the wisdom of God, to discern between good and evil, to lead ourselves and our families well, to do the right thing, in the right moment, at the right time, because God's blessing follows that. That which we pursue will be that which gathers and catches our attention. If we are praying for for the best that God has for us, if we are praying toward, I want I want in my life the ability, Father, to lead myself and my family well. But I also ask you, these things. It's all about order and priority in this matter that I'm speaking of today. There is an order to following after God. There is a prioritization of understanding what is in cue to ask and request of God. Now, Paul says to make your request known to God. Offer up request. Offer up request to ask God's help and intervention and direction in every need, in every area of your life. But what is the one thing that you you would ask of God that would supersede and 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 trump and cap and be the greatest of the great? What is the one thing if you could just ask him, what would that one thing be? That one thing that you ask is the determination of your focus, what you seek, and it also determines how you do and live out for God. This this whole concept, this whole idea cries out for, for understanding who God is, understanding who we are, and understanding what he's designed us to do as men. 
it is no it is no light duty to be a man today to be a godly man it is not it is not an easy thing it is not a cakewalk it is it is difficult it is a battle and and most of the world system and and all its cultures push and fight against godly men standing up taking ground taking dominion executing and exercising their authority that God's given them in and for their assignment. Hear that. God's design, he has given us this designed, this assignment, this authority to execute in in our assignment, in the places he's given us to take authority and dominion over. That authority and dominion can be many things. It is not just conquering for the temporal things of this world, but it's conquering and and striving for and doing the things in this life that will in eternity reflect who we are and what we lived for and why we lived for it and and who is it that we entered in the kingdom with. You know, my goal is to enter into the kingdom with 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 some of my brothers that I walk with, all of them, that we we get the chance to walk into the kingdom together in the kingdom of heaven and to be rewarded because together we walked, that we can stand together. Think about that, standing before the throne of God, giving him glory for all he's done in our lives. But with the people, you you walk through this life with standing with them in front of, of the throne of God, and he say, he would say to you and to all of your brothers and their families, well done, good and faithful servants, enter into your rest. There is no greater, there is no greater riches, no greater reward that could, any man could ever imagine. Most, 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 most precious most precious day, most precious moment in all of eternity is that moment when you stand before God and he says, well done. And you have your brothers and their families around you. There's, there's no, there's no greater, there's no greater moment. There will never be, there will never be a better moment in the history of all eternity. So my question is, what do you want from God? Who are you walking with? Cause you can't do it alone. Don't underestimate the power of God and his ability to answer your prayers, but but lead you and guide you toward the right prayer to ask. I prayed this this prayer two or three times a day with my wife and with with by myself, and I want to offer that prayer to you. It's a prayer of Jabez. Uh, it, it's one of the coolest prayers from an obscure, uh, uh, no, no-name guy in the Bible, except he had this great prayer. It's the prayer of Jabez. It, it says this, bless me indeed. Jabez praying to God, bless me indeed. Increase my territory. Keep your hand upon me. And keep me from sin that I may not cause harm. All right, big fella. Go get some. This is Barry with Father Seekers. And this is the podcast, Teach Me to Father.